on March 23, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres asked for a global ceasefire due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Two weeks later, on April 6, Guterres asked for a global ceasefire on domestic violence. This is due to the high levels of reported cases in several countries around the world. One of the things that UN Secretary General, as well as many governments, have expressed is that economic and social stresses, as well as isolation, fears, anxiety, have increased what was considered a silence reality in many, many countries. On this episode 8 of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast, we will talk about domestic violence and why this type of crisis, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, has created this perfect storm, shedding light on the realities of more than one-third of the women worldwide. Hi everybody, I'm your host Natalia Bonillana. And before I introduce you to our special guest for this episode, I want to thank you so much for all the support that you have given to this project. And um, for all your questions, all your ideas, and including all your recommendations for contacts and, and people to interview in following editions. I know very much that the COVID-19 is putting a strain in all of us. And um, I'm doing my best to provide you with the voices, with the interviews, with the experiences of women that are still unheard. Um, this is not the time to be silenced. This is not the time for women to be a small note on a newspaper. And this is not the time as well to be shushed. I am a bit um, appalled. But not that surprised that about like 90% of the experts on mainstream media are males. I'm, I'm talking about political analysts, I'm talking about economic experts, I'm talking about health advisors, media interviewers, and it is very, very tiring <laughs> and I guess for some of you it may be I don't know but it is very very tiring when you know when you know deep inside that there are so many of us so many wonderful female experts that can provide a different voice a different way of analyzing what's happening outside and also provide a new take new solutions and new ways of thinking what is happening in these top leadership spheres and what's happening as well down below in our communities. And um, I, I reach out to some of you. I've reached out via social media, via the networks that um, I'm currently in, the Women in Foreign Policy kind of networks. Um, I'm in several of them. and in English and Spanish, in Europe, in the United States, as well as Latin America. And um, I've said it, um, I think it is time for us to rise up, but to rise up and start sharing. It is time for us to start sharing and not be, um, you know, going back to our expected or stereotyped domain, which is, you know, the private sphere. And, um, that's also why it's so, so important that we talk about domestic violence and 
Today, I have an amazing, amazing uh, special guest that I want to introduce you to. Um, but before I do, um, I invite you to subscribe to our newsletter, to subscribe to this podcast, and to share with me your views once it is finished, because it is so good to read that some of you are listening to these productions and um, I would greatly appreciate your feedback, your comments, you sharing this type of content and um, also if you have new ideas of stories that we can cover um, beyond the COVID, which I know that it is currently the only topic that we can see in the foreseeable future, but um, no, I, I'm open to um, exploring new topics. In fact, um, one of them is uh, Afghans women's role in the peace process. Um, that's a still a pending episode that I hope to release soon. Um, so yeah, so looking forward to your comments. And without further ado, he let me introduce you to Ada Alvarez Conde. So I'm currently with Dr. Ada Alvarez Conde. She is dating violence specialist and currently she's running for Senate in Puerto Rico. Ada, thank you so much for joining this episode. Oh, thank you for inviting me and I'm Uh, there are several reports by international grassroots organizations saying that during these crisis times, including this COVID-19 pandemic, the number of domestic violence cases has increased or will increase. Why does it happen? Because one of 
one of the two or or both have lost their jobs so there's more financial dependency so you get to a point where you're more dependent on the person that is actually aggressing being an aggressor and you see out of the government probably the invisibilization of this problem it will be hard at least emotionally to feel safe while everybody's saying that safe is where you know uh, or what is known to you and sadly um, some people choose to stay even if they're on danger because it's known and because they're, they're you know it, it's it sounds like familiar versus trying to get out to an unfamiliar place like a shelter or a police and getting there and getting even the COVID, right? Or getting the, the sickness. So it's like, you feel unsafe everywhere. So there's a point where you're getting a message that if you're gonna be unsafe, at least you know where, how, how is it working already in your house? We have a sense of like knowing what usually happens, even though it could escalate to something really bad, like a death. Is it possible that a, a, a couple has not experienced domestic violence before, but during the COVID-19 quarantine or national lockdown, there are several situations that may arise that could account for domestic violence? Uh, is it possible or is like patterns get increased during this period? Well, I think it's, it's, it's kind of both. Like there's patterns that will increase and usually a person that decides to hit the person they're saying they love they had some sense of um they have to be it, it should be like a reflect of their misogyny right like of their asking for something and not getting it whatever it could be the 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 place where they inhibit this beliefs however in terms of mental health etc obviously there's stress there's anxiety, there are things that are gonna trigger us. The thing is that it's kinda, we'll be ashamed that we think that domestic violence is a consequence of mental health, it's actually a consequence of machismo and misogyny. Because um, you don't have to hit, or you don't have to be verbally abusive, or you don't have to be sexually abusive, whichever the three, right? Emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. As a, uh, as a response. So it's saying more about the person that is giving it and how they respond to, to crisis and why would they do that to the partner than actually saying that that will cause it. So I think it's, it's, we have to be very careful that we don't justify stress, anxiety, depression, whatever, and the consequence is violence and it's okay because we were stressed. Like a lot of people have said and done a lot of bad things in the name of stress. And we shouldn't put up with that. And domestic violence, aggressions on partners, um, especially like I said, based on machismo and like a, a power struggle and control and power, which is basically what what is the base of the aggressors versus the victims who have guilt and, and fear, then this could be feeding those up rather than being a consequence of something. Obviously there's triggers. We're not saying that they're not triggers. I'm just saying we should never justify this violence. And even if it's the first time, it should be a moment to call the police to make something happen so that it will be the first and the last of this event. 
Um, today, April 6th, um, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for a global ceasefire on domestic violence following the global ceasefire for all conflicts around the world. Um, do you think that these announcements by international organizations and these international figures um, work? Well, I think they do because, well, they do if they have politicians that are open to ending domestic violence and gender violence. If, if, and that's why I believe in representation is one of the reasons I'm running and is one of the reasons we have to talk about representation of women. And not every woman that runs is actually pro-woman or against gender violence. So we actually have to work with having initiatives like this one from a world organization calling out on a cease of fire, obviously that leader is not talking to an aggressor. Because the aggressor won't say, oh my God, you know, the, world, the organization, uh, uh, world organization asked me to stop. No, he's talking to the leaders. So what you need is to have compromised leaders and that can do something and actually engage into doing something with this political situation, with this social situation and not ignoring it. So it is a very... It, it should it should help us um, and it will help when we check at the end of the day which leader took the advice and made sure that this was taken care of in that sense um, what, are, what what are your views on the case of France lately um, gender equality uh, minister Marlene Schiappa um, said that 20 centers will open in stores around the country and that the government will pay up to 20,000 hotel rooms or hotel nights um, for victims of domestic violence that needed to get out of their households during these national lockdowns. Um, France has started its lockdown on March 17 and since then in two weeks time it has seen an increase of 30% of domestic violence cases, confirmed cases and reported cases. So what are your views on this type of response? Is it, is it following that kind of route that you're describing? Yes, it is, uh, it's, it is obviously a leader that is saying, I noticed this is going up and I will not, I will not tolerate that abuse will go on and that this could cause more death just because a person doesn't feel they don't have where to go. That will be the question. It's like a homeless person. You're homeless. Go to your home. It's not necessarily an answer to the homeless because they're asking, which is my home? Where can I go? Going home is safe, but I don't have a home. So the same for victims in their homes of abuse. Going home, it represents, based on the virus, safety. Based on aggression, danger. So the leader has to say to the people um, or to the victims so that they feel secure. I know there's danger everywhere for you, including your house, but at least you will not die or you will not suffer in the hands of another person if you go to this place that I have separated. And you can take care of yourself from the virus and from the aggressor because technically both can kill you and we're trying to prevent death.
and that's why an action like that is making a, a call from a leader again from government saying we have destined this money to make sure that the reason you don't go is because you feel you don't have nowhere to go this is the moment this is the time to leave if you know what's going on and i think um in domestic violence victims there's a percentage of or a number of six to seven times that the person tries to leave and this is very important because there's always there's always this thing about like why didn't you leave before why are you there do you like that like all this shame and all this re-victimization and there's a point in, in your life where you have to check and see if you're not justifying violence because a lot of times even the people who are dying like here in puerto rico we have had latest case of a domestic violence victim or a, a, a violence a gender violence victim was from an ex an ex came to her door and shot her in front of her kids and they were just like boyfriend girlfriend for a while and they had left each other and he just like called her door and like shot her like point blank in front of the kids and this was like a week ago so that's an ex that was even like a partner So what I'm saying is that a lot of people respond will be like, get out of there. But even if you get out of there, you could be in danger, but you have to make sure that you know that a lot of women do get out, but they do need help and they do need policy, public policy that will make sure that justice is served and that you will be protected and that there's resources for you. And like I said, this action only is responding to the fact that It sucks that we're trying to promote safety and that for victims in their house, the reason they might die is not a virus, it's someone. So we have to make sure that the house or where you spend the night is not the reason you are actually in danger. So definitely I applaud that. And I think, at least in my case as a candidate for, as, as a runner for senator, one of the things I have said is like, And this is a proposal I take out to the world and whoever listens to your podcast because you're international relations. I believe, and this is a proposal I have in Puerto Rico, that the budget has to have gender perspective, the budget of Puerto Rico. And this includes that the shelters, money is secure from the budget of the government. We cannot have a lot of cases of domestic violence and all the shelters take all the like the weight of helping women and then all of a sudden every month every week they have to be begging for a dollar begging for five dollars doing for racers when they have all the 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 weight on their shoulders and there's not any government help that relates to the shelter work which is so important so that they leave and and, and, um, and go to the, to the judges and go to the police. So that's an example of a public policy I'm saying. Get the money for the shelters. If you don't have anything to help the victims, get the money to the shelters. Make sure they keep running because at the end of the day, this is a public service and it shouldn't be so hard to keep it on when everything and all the statistics are going up instead of down. So that's, for example, that's an example, a small example of what it, what it could be, a gender um, base or having a gender perspective on the budget of your nations. 
And this includes a response of France with the hotel rooms, right? In the midst of this crisis, I'm gonna set some money up to pay this. And that's something we can like relate, not for this crisis only, but when the doors open and when we're back to getting out of the house and making sure that this works. Including in the UN Women um, has called on governments to adopt a gender lens for crisis response. And one of the ideas that is put on the table is, you know, crisis shelter should be included in the list of essential services during lockdown periods. Um, I, I do think that this approach um, can be seen as focusing on the consequences and not the roots of domestic violence. And um, I, I want to ask you that because currently we are having these international organizations and even national organizations saying to women, please escape, please, you know, call this helpline. And, you know, they're always pushing the women to do something rather than the perpetrator stop doing it or, or stop engaging on violence. And I want to know, why is this focus is still very much on the women seeking help rather than on the male or the toxic masculinity or the macho culture that is instilling, as you have said previously, that is instilling this type of behavior? Well, sadly, and I have always criticized this, and again, it's one of the reasons I'm running, is that public policy usually is focusing on the intervention and not the prevention. So when you have a public policy or a response of intervention, you will always say, oh, you're going through this? Call this number. Get out. But you're already going through it. So the, the way that we would do it better would be we focus on prevention, which includes um gender perspective education that will include, which is one of my proposals to um, emotional intelligence at schools, how to deal with emotions and how to deal with being open and having communication and making sure that we don't build up um, toxic relationships in general because we work with ourselves and we're aware of our feelings. is about making sure that mental health is accessible because we can't pretend to just go to the police, put these people in jail. No, there's a, a system of rehabilitation for the aggressor or the victim. You cannot be like, oh, I'm out and everything is perfect. Anyone who knows about this, I always give this example. If leaving a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife, spouse, whatever, is hard, if it's not toxic and you're like oh, crying and like sad or imagine if there's some dependency imagine if there's violence imagine if there's psychological abuse obviously it's harder and and that's um uh, a way to see it is how do we give tools how do we make sure that we have public policy that is prevention instead of intervention and even on intervention inter um intervention which is what you're talking about. Even on the intervention, what do we do with the rehabilitation of someone who is already has defined himself or has a conduct of aggression? Obviously, there's hope for them, but it will be much better we get before they get to actually do that, um, right before something happens. So that's why I support education, um, talking about violence, 
talking about emotions and talking about mental health access as well as access to justice is something can, can you explain to to us a bit further what's your experience in Puerto Rico and um, how have you been um, tackling this uh, dating violence and domestic violence issue for more than a decade now? Well, on May 10, I will be 14 years uh, working with dating violence prevention. Thankfully, I, I went through an experience and turned it into um uh, a mission of life or a vocation i was a dating violence victim at 14. i had to do a protection order learn all about it on the way didn't got much information before and while and the reason i knew about this or i learned about this was while working on a newspaper and they made me as an intern because i thought of studying journalism um which i studied in, in my bachelor's and master's even though my phd is in history I, in an internship, I had an assignment of domestic violence and how it affected youth. And it's the only reason I got some info of the concept of dating violence to later on notice that I have the first boyfriend I liked ever with a lot of signs and had to take him to court because when I tried to leave him after trying to fix it and whatever, and as I always say, a lot of, a lot of uh, forgiveness, forgiveness without change is manipulation. So a lot of times trying to figure it out and whatever it didn't work then he started stalking me so i had to do a protection order at 14 and i wrote a book and i wrote a book and became puerto rico youngest novelist based on stories of women in shelters that started this young and since then i've given um, a lot of conferences has specialized on it started in puerto rico i also helped with public policy and made possible that february now here is dating violence awareness month And I think my biggest accomplishment so far has been Peace Promoters or Promotores de Paz, which is um, after, after being so busy going to schools, especially high schools, uh, middle schools, and universities, giving conferences on prevention of dating violence to try and work right, education on prevention and checking the signs, et cetera, the signals. Um, One of the biggest things I try to do when this month came, the February dating um, month came that the bill passed and it was law, is that there wasn't enough of me to go to all the schools that were needed. So I trained people on dating violence prevention to make sure that I have a lot of people, right? We call multipliers or peace promoters to give conferences and schools. And I had the beautiful experience and the great experience of community organizing more than 100 volunteers. And on February 2019, we managed to give 238 conferences in one month in all the municipalities of Puerto Rico with an impact of 14,769 youth. Um, and that impact was highly like, um, I don't know, the evidence, right? Evidence-based with like, letters, photos, like the assistance, etc. So that's how I have that specific number. Um, so it's great to be training people so that you, instead of having some work, you have a legacy. So no matter what happens with me, I know that the seed of talking about prevention is there, but it's not enough. We need a dating violence prevention law and we need 
that young people that are going through this can also go to shelters, which they cannot right now, can also get help, which they cannot right now. And like me, if a young person is going through violence, they should be able to have a tool, something from justice to make sure that that person does stop from making their life miserable. So right now there's no law that will prevent or that will save dating violence is a crime. And that's something I'm looking forward to, um, along with other public policies, like I told you about emotional intelligence, giving attention to mental health, making sure the money the shelters are in, and just doing public policy with priorities. I think there's a time in your life, and I think that COVID and this virus has, has shown us, we cannot talk in Puerto Rico about economic development and we don't talk about social development. We don't talk about health. We don't talk about how people are. And as I always said, and, and you know this from me a long time ago, the biggest problem Puerto Rico has is that we need people that love themselves so they can love Puerto Rico instead of people who get into power and abuse it. And, and that's why I'm running for senator at large. And that's why I know a lot of people are standing and raising their voice in organizations, nonprofits, activists with this theme but we need people in government to make the change faster and better. Because I think in this specific theme of uh, abuse, it has been all in the shoulders and it has been like a weight that the nonprofits and activists are carrying alone. And we need to make sure that it's a multi, you know, dimensional group that will help in government, in, in, in the judiciary power, in the legislature, in every sense of every part of Puerto Rico and the world, and not only the organizations trying to survive, like, well, we're making sure that we have healthier families and therefore healthier um, countries and therefore uh, healthier and more prosperous countries. So if we invest on families and if we invest on women, we're actually investing in our country. So what we need is patriots that will understand for once and for all that machismo and misogyny are making a lot of people miserable and having a lot of death and it's an attack on dignity. And we need to have human rights. Women rights are human rights. And that's what we need to tell the world and that's why we have to be fighting. For all of us citizens that are hearing you right now, we understand that a multi-layer approach is needed to address domestic and dating violence. But what can we do now um, even in our houses, in quarantine time, with this pandemic, what can we do now to help, to support, or even to understand the signs if some of us are experiencing this kind of abuse? Well, this is the perfect time to invest on yourself and make sure that the partner you have is not abusive. Um, so the first thing I would say is definitely work on checking who is your partner and who is your quarantine partner and if, they're, if they have any signs? And how are you in terms of healing, mental health? How do you feel? How will you invest your time and spirit and everything when you get out? But how do you start working on yourself now? So the biggest fight we can give, the biggest, and that's why I, I promote prevention. The biggest way, the most strongest way we can change this is if every one of us knows our worth and make sure that we fight the system that tells us that this is okay. And we invest a lot 
of time on getting better and making sure that we don't get voluntarily with someone that voluntarily messes up. And that will be the first thing because when whoever you get with, you're also going to produce children that are marked. And those children that are marked with violence will probably be abusers also in the future. And it's a cycle that we have to end starting with ourselves. As citizens and as an activist or in your house, you can donate to the shelters which now are struggling because they do fundraisers and stuff to get going and now everything is closed. So you can help them because they're giving services still, whatever you leave. Whenever you leave, you should check our, your local community organizations. If you want to become a volunteer and help on this, you can get trained, you can get webinars. I know you, Natalia, has a lot of webinars that are great. I do my, my part. Um, I could do more in English, but still, we can work that out and, and make sure that you get trained or listening about this and, and, and get involved. And number four is very simple. It might, sound, it might sound simple, but it's probably a life-saving thing. If you hear something as a neighbor, call the police. Because like I said before, this person is next to the aggressor. Probably she can't call. But if you listen to something that is not right, if you're a citizen, you, you can have a power to make sure that, that police comes and probably save a life. So I think we have to be responsible citizens and also be aware that if you hear something or if you see something, you can call the police out to check that. And, and depending on the country, it shouldn't be a process of you getting involved like, you know, like, they, like she called and you're getting into danger. It could be like anonymous and like, hey, I've just heard. And that could be a, a way of uh, saving someone's life as a citizen, right? As a neighbor. And sometimes we don't we don't see that as powerful, but in my experience, you don't know how many times I've seen something of abuse and I have called the emergency line and waited till the police got there to make sure that that was attended. And I, I'm not afraid of it because that person was in danger and that was the voice or the help she needed at the time. We don't know which is the outcome. We don't know if she comes back, if she say what, but we need to make our part of making sure that they start looking, open up the eyes that that is not acceptable. And obviously as neighbors, as community, like on social events, which we're not having right now, if you see any type of comment that is abusive, sexist or whatever, or you yourself like think you could be the one saying it, Check yourself and make sure you're not silent to abuse or any type of comments that could endanger or could send, uh, could be, you know, bad about this or maybe justifying it or talking badly about someone or making them objects or anything that promotes this culture of violence. Uh, um, before we leave, I would love for our audience to know where can they reach you and also i know that you have an online test for anybody that wants to understand the science and everything can you tell us your website your facebook and instagram yes my facebook is my name ada alvarez conde my instagram is my name and twitter is my name um and the page is alcoatilencio.org which is stopthesilence.org Right now, I'm exploring and I'm putting their content in English. So I do have a dating violence quiz in Spanish. Um, however, my email is my name, Ada Alvarez Condi, at gmail.com. And you can request 
the quiz in English. And we also have, I also have a lot of alliances and I promote Break the Cycle, which is an organization in the United States that is in English. But I was, a, I, my organization, Stop the Silence uh, Foundation, was the first that talked about dating violence in Spanish in Latin America. So I'm very aware of like having material in Spanish, but I also have material in English even produced by me or produced by people who are dealing with this every day that have cancer. So I'm reachable, I'm out there. If you have any doubts, I'm posting all the time on my Instagram. Um, I'm posting all the time on my Facebook. If you want to help my campaign, so be it. At least if you're in the United States and you have a license, you can donate to my campaign. You can help me out to get into the Senate. And and those type of things, you can, you can do it. And get involved. I wish that you participate in the political process, that you vote, that you run, that you help someone you like, and that you became and you become the best citizen you can be um, being active. Thank you so much for your time, Ella. Thanks. Thanks for this opportunity. And stay safe, everybody. And if home is not safe, call police and get out. So this is all for today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this Womenhood and International Relations podcast. All recommended links for this episode will be posted alongside the blog post in my website, www.nataliabonilla.org. So I invite you to check that out. And also, if you have any questions, if you want to learn more, please do write me. I'm going to leave my email also in that blog post. And... Remember to subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, Anchor FM, and also via YouTube, our YouTube channel, which is going to have the video part. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you soon.